glad that you are with us. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to read our theme verse today, but I like to start sometimes with something funny. And because of time, I'm going to do, pull an oldie and a goodie and a shorty out. And um, it's simply this. How do you get your um, Kleenex to do a dance? You put a little boogie in it. Okay. Uh, come on, flashing back to junior high. Come on, let me know. You got to talk about that stuff in junior high. We're starting a new series called Stand. And I want us to read this passage together. It's one of my favorite um, passages in scripture. It might not seem that way when you read it, but I'm going to talk a little bit more about it over the next three weeks. I want you to read it with me. All of you joining us online. Here we go. I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land but found no one. God is looking for people who will stand. And we're going to talk about how do we stand for the next three weeks. I want you to close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I pray your anointing would fill this place. Presence of God. Anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. Break every bondage, every way of thinking, every, everything that's holding us back from all that you have for us. Lord, I thank you today that, Lord, we're going to be people who stand. In fact, just pray that with me. Say, God, I want to stand in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So you don't have to stand. You can sit down. Context of this verse was that the people of Israel, the southern two tribes, that they had been disobedient to God. There was rampant corruption, sexual immorality. They'd watered down God's word. All of these things were happening of disobedience and sin. And what God said was, he said, you know, to my people, if, if you don't follow my commands, eventually there's going to be a form of consequence or judgment. And so sought for someone who would intercede, who would stand so that he didn't have to bring that consequence or that judgment, but he found no one. I want to tell you, number one, that God is not a God who loves to bring judgment. He doesn't love to bring consequence. But he also is not only a God of love, he's a God of justice. And he's a God of righteousness. And so that means sometimes he has to bring the consequence for the action. And so, but I love this about God is that even though sometimes he has to be a God of consequence, he's slow to anger and he's rich in mercy. Come on, somebody say amen for that. And so in this passage, he, he literally asks, I need, to, I'm searching. In fact, the word, I search for someone, it means to be diligent, to seek out. He was looking for somebody who would intercede. And God has always chosen certain people to stand on behalf of the people. Remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they, 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 they as soon as they are delivered out of Egypt, they start worshiping a golden calf. And God's like, what are you doing? And he says to Moses, I'm just going to wipe them out and start again with a new group of people. And, and Moses, he stood in the gap. And he said, God, no. And, and you, you've got to give your mercy. And so God gave his mercy and gave him another chance. Remember when God needed to bring consequence to Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin. And Abraham stood in the gap and he said, God, if you find just 100 people, will you spare the city? And he, he, he negotiated with God and said, God, even if it's 10 Unfortunately, there weren't even 10 righteous people in the city. 
Point is, is that God always looks for people who will stand. God is calling for righteous people to stand, to stand in righteousness and to stand in truth. Because in the culture we live, I'm going to tell you something. Here's the point. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. If you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. And we live in a culture where, where people are falling for things that they shouldn't be falling for. They're getting caught up and twisted in things that aren't godly, aren't righteous. And so God is looking for us to stand. And the problem is that a lot of people, they do stand, but they stand against things. And I want you to know, as a church, we don't want to be people who stand against things. We want to be people who stand for something. We stand for God and his truth and his principles and his word. How many say amen to that? So over the next three weeks, I'm going to give you the kind of the sneak peek of what's happening. We're going to talk about three topics. Today, we're going to talk about standing for equality. Next week, we're going to talk about standing for revival. And then the last week, we're going to talk about standing for life. Right now, we're in a, a pivotal time in our nation with um, abortion and those things. There's a new movie that's coming out. In fact, we tried to get a showing of it and buy it out for our church because I happened to have a chance to preview the movie called Unplanned. And it's an incredible story about a woman who ran a Planned Parenthood uh, center and how God stepped into her life. And now she's telling her story. And, and so we're going to talk in the last week about um, standing for life. And we're going to find how that God wants to bring healing in this area to people that have experienced that or been tempted with that or been pressured with that. We're, we're going to find out what God says about it. And so we're going to learn today to stand for equality. We're going to learn to stand for revival. We're going to learn to stand for life. And, and on the last weekend, we're going to have another outpouring. And I'm excited to say Dr. Michael Maiden is coming back again. I felt prompted to bring him back and he said he could do it. And he's just going to take lots of time to minister, kind of like, you know, the widow, or I'm sorry, the woman with the issue of blood and how she crawled through the crowd and she grabbed a hold of Jesus and found her miracle. I just feel like that people are going to come ready, excited, and he's going to take as much time as we need to pray for people, to speak life over people. I believe that we're going to stand and we're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Come on, somebody say amen. So I want to give you point number one. I gave it to you just a second ago. You didn't realize it, but point number one today is I believe we need to stand for equality. I want to show you that God is a God who wants equality. And I want to read a passage of scripture. It's found in Galatians chapter 3. We're in a culture right now where there's a lot of emphasis on equality. There's marches for equality for genders and um, for um, men and women. We've, we're seeing the, the march for women and all of these things. And I want to just bring some context to what God has to say about this topic. And so here's what the scripture says. It says, all who have been united with Christ in baptism, in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Now, I want to pause there for a minute. What this means is that Christ, he is the equalizer. Come on, how many of you saw the movie The Equalizer? Jesus is the real equalizer. And I just want to start by saying, first of all, before we dive into our topic today, that, that through Christ, there is no longer white or black or Latino or um, um, Jew, Jew or Gentile, that we are all one, that we are all equal before the Lord. Come on, somebody say amen. God is a God of equality, and he wants us to be equal. In fact, let me just say racism is unbiblical. Racism is unrighteous. God has called us 
to love one another, to serve one another. And we're all equal in his eyes. Come on, amen? And so God equalizes things. And and I'm thankful, first of all, that we live in a country that supports equality. I'm thankful that in 1865 that uh, a leadership arose and people arose and abolished slavery. Come on, how many are thankful for that? And how many are thankful for people like Martin Luther King Jr. who helped bring um, uh, civil rights into our nation and that God brought equality and that we're seeing more and more equality in our nation than we've ever seen. In, in, you know, there are, there, are, there are places around the world where you don't see equality. And how many know that we have, a, we have a ways to go, but... How many are thankful that we live in a land that speaks freedom and equality? Come on, how many say amen to that? I'm sad to say that, I'm I'm thankful that we abolished slavery, but I'm sad to say that we still have slavery in, in the world today. In fact, there are over 20 million slaves in the world today, more slaves today than there were before slavery was abolished. Because of forced labor, because of sex trading and, and trafficking, 20 million, 71% of those slaves are women, and 25% of those slaves are children. God wants us to stand for freedom, and he wants us to stand for equality. Somebody say amen. amen. So we, we're thankful that through Christ, no longer is there racism. We're equal before the Lord. But then he goes on to say, not only is it Jew and Gentile, slave and free, but he says, male and female. For you are all one in Christ. And I believe the Bible teaches equality between man and woman. And I believe that God wants to empower women to be what God has called them to be. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of time, when God created man and woman, he created them together. And the Bible says that he didn't give man the authority over the earth. It says that he gave man and woman. If you read through the story, man and woman were given authority together. It started off with equality, and I'm going to break this down a little bit, but unfortunately, because of sin and because of culture, we see inequality in a lot of places around the world. We have places where um, now women are not allowed to drive. In the current culture that we we live in across the planet, women are not allowed to drive. They're not allowed to get an education. They are the property of their spouse. They can be physically or sexually abused. They, They are literally entrapped and enslaved, and that's happening around the world. How many are thankful that we live in a nation where we don't have to worry about that? That it's against the law to do those things. God wants equality. And so today, in fact, let me just give you a couple cool quick stats to tell you that as a nation, we have equality and and it's a beautiful thing. Did you know that um, in America in the 1970s, only 42% of women went to college, 58% men went to college. Did you know that now, according to the statistics, it's completely flopped and now 58% of colleges are filled with women and only 42% of of, of the, the students are male. Now, actually, colleges have come up with plans to try to get more men into college. Not only that, let me tell you something that's pretty powerful too. Did you know that today in America, in the workforce, that we have more people working than we've ever had in history, and now 58% of the workforce is female, and only 42% is male. Now, I say that whether you want to clap or not, or however you feel, how many are thankful that we're seeing women advance in who they're called to be and to do what they're called to do. How many say amen to those things? I just want to point out that 
For the first time, we have more women in Congress than we've ever had before. We had a presidential candidate run for president. One day we will have a woman president. I'm thankful. Now, are there things that need to change? Is it maybe equality of pay need to change or other things? Yes, we want to see progression and, and we want to see e equality. But I want to tell you, I'm thankful that we live in a land that believes in equality. Come on, somebody say amen. I get tired of everybody pointing at all the problems. Why don't we celebrate some victories? Come on, amen? So now, we live in a country that believes in equality. We realize that the Bible says that there's equality. But why is it that in the church, we may not see that when it comes to women in ministry? Now, I'm going to address a topic today, and I know that as a church, we have a broad group of people from different backgrounds, and maybe you've come today, and you've come from a, a, a theological perspective that women are not allowed to be pastors or to speak in the church, um, teaching and, and in leadership. And there's a, a large segment of the Christian church that believes that, and uh, then there's a, a large section of the church that doesn't believe that. I want you to know here at Higher Vision, I'm going to tell you what I personally believe and what we've uh, implemented in our church. We do believe that women can be pastors and that women can teach. So what I want to do today is I want to just share with you in kind of the context of equality. And I want to tell you that we see in our culture this push to see equality. But what happens in culture is that whenever culture gets involved in something that God established, they pervert it and twist it. And so with the, the good idea comes a lot of unrighteousness and unholiness. And so we're going to talk about that. And we're going to say, what is equality and what does it look like? But I want to talk for a minute about women in the church. And I want to tell you that as I dive into this topic, I want to first of all say that there's no way in the next 20 minutes that I can exhaustively um, go through scripture and give you a theological, uh, expansive perspective on women in ministry. It's going to be impossible. But I'm going to do my best to give you kind of the, the big points of what I believe, all right? I believe in it. I grew up in a home. And I want to say, please don't email and try to change my mind. <laughs> I've done a lot of study on this. I grew up in the home of an ordained pastor, my mom and my dad. And so I've seen it function in a healthy and a, in a right way, a healthy and a whole way. So don't try to convince me. But if you do believe differently, I want you to know that's between you and the Lord. And that's okay. We can disagree agreeably. Come on, amen? But I want to give you my perspective, and, but I want to do it by going backwards. And I want to start with the two verses that people normally focus on as to why women can't lead men or speak in the church or be pastors. And I'm going to, I'm going to give this, these two verses to you. And, and you're going to go, man, that's kind of a weird way to start this whole thing, but let's, let's do it. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Some of you may not know the Bible says this, so I want to read it to you. God, Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth and he says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Now, you need to pay attention to that because God's talking about order. We're going to revisit this. He says, God's not a God of, um, of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions... They should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Now, I want to say, we don't want to discount this. This is not like the Bible has, you know, passages that are important and passages that are unimportant. All of the Bible is important, and we need to honor all of God's word. Come on, y'all with me? So how do we address this? Let's go to the second one. Um, um, did I miss a verse? Go back. It says, uh, if they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in a church meeting. 
All right, so that's one of the passages. You all with me? How many say, would say, I didn't even know that was in the Bible? Raise your hand. Okay, thank you for your honesty. All right. How many of you don't really care? Okay, never mind, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hopefully you will after this sermon. Now let's look at the other verse that is used to say women shouldn't speak in church or preach or teach or be pastors. First Timothy says, women should learn quietly and submissively. And do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first and afterwards he made Eve. Now, here's the big question and, I, and I, it makes sense. Here's what many of you are thinking. How in the world can you believe that women can speak and have authority in the church and read that? That's a, it's a, it's a question that makes sense. So what I want to do is I want to give you just my quick, quick points of why I believe that God is a God of equality and that women can have a place of ministry in the local church. So can I do that with you today? Come on, I'm putting on the teacher's hat. You all with me? So here's the first reason. Number one, the reason is because the overall biblical record empowers women in leadership. If you look at the, the totality of scripture and you look at the context of which it was written, in the context of which it was written, there weren't places like now in America where there is equality. The entire world, women were subverted to um, not getting an education. They weren't allowed to have an education. They, they were the property oftentimes of their spouses, of their husbands. They, they couldn't testify in a court of law. They had no positions of authority. Now, that being said, when you look through the Bible, you see things differently because look through the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in that type of culture, look what we see. All the way back when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, there was a woman by the name of Miriam. And she was the sister of Moses. And the Bible says that she was a prophetess. And that she spoke prophetically over God's people. And she brought leadership to God's people. So all the way even into the Old Testament, in a culture where women had no place, there was a woman in leadership. Not only that, let's go to a whole other level. Deborah. Deborah was in the, the season of the judges. Remember, Samson was a judge. And um, Gideon was kind of like a judge. And what they would do is they would lead the children of Israel into battle, fight wars. They would also be like a king. And they would judge over situ situations that were legal matters that need to be decided. They were the authority of the land. Deborah, a woman, led the children of Israel into battle, defeated the enemy, and was a judge over Israel for many, many years. So in the Old Testament, we see it with Miriam, we see it with, with uh, Deborah, we also see it with Huldah. Some of you have never heard of Huldah. Huldah was a prophetess that when Josiah became king and they found the scrolls in God's word, what did he do? He sent the priest and the scribe to Huldah, who was the prophetess, and she prophesied over them as to what they should do and how the word should be interpreted and what needed to happen. She gave leadership over the entire nation as a woman, which were men. So we see examples from the overall perspective in the Old Testament of women in, in leadership and in ministry. Let's move now to the New Testament. If you go to the New Testament, giving you some examples, there was a couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. And the Bible says that they planted churches. And they would go in, and most, many theologians believe that he didn't just plant the church, she did it with him. In fact, we know that he didn't just teach, we know that she taught and she taught men. Because the Bible says that Aquila and Priscilla instructed Apollos, which by the, word, by the way, Apollos became one of the main preachers, apostolic leaders of his day with Paul. The Bible says that Aquila and Priscilla instructed him in the word. 
So we have a woman now who's functioning, leading church plants, helping pastor a church, instructing other leadership in the church, guiding them, teaching them, and instructing them. Not only that, the Bible says in Romans chapter 16 that Paul said that he was encouraging all of his co-workers in the ministry. And in that list is men and women. And then when you read in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the Bible says that Phoebe, which was a woman, functioned in a deacon role, in a high level of leadership in the church. And then there's one that kind of can be seen from two perspectives, and that is a person by the name of Junia. And Junia was considered an apostle in the day. Some believe that it was a man, but historic record says there is no man's name called Junia. There was only Junia, which was a woman. So many uh, certain theologians believe that an actual apostle was Junius and she was a woman. The point I'm making is that when you look at the totality of scripture in a culture where women had no standing, God was already empowering and releasing women into places of equality and leadership in culture and in the church. Y'all with me? Say amen. amen. So that's number one. Here's the second reason. Number two, because Jesus empowered women. I'll give you examples. Women were not allowed to talk publicly in, in the marketplace to men. And what happens? The disciples come back and Jesus is talking to a woman in public. He's giving place for discourse, right? In, at the well, at, a, at a, a common place. Not only that, women weren't allowed to be taught the word of God and educated. So guess what? Remember when Mary and Martha and Mary comes and sits at the feet of Jesus and he's teaching her the word and watch what happens. Martha comes and says, hey, she, she, she should help me. Now we know it was the context of she was making the meal and she wanted help. But I think there's a spiritual principle there and here's what it was. It was that, that the, the, the spirit of the culture says, no, 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 women shouldn't be in that position and that place. And what did Jesus say? He said, no, 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 she's found the good thing and I will not take it from her. So he was teaching her the word, which women weren't allowed to be taught the word. Here, here's the biggest one for me. Women did not have claim to be able to go into a court of law to give a testimony and it be considered valid or credible. Yet, when Jesus rose from the grave, the most important thing in history, who did he choose to say, you be, my testi- you be the one that testifies for me? He tells a woman. He says, go back and tell the apostles that I have risen. He chooses someone who had no legal standing in a court of law to be the one to testify of his resurrection. Of course, later the disciples saw him. The point I'm making is that when you see Jesus, he was constantly in a culture that subverted women. He was lifting them up and he was empowering them to be what they were called to be. Y'all with me, amen. Now, that being said, how do we address the two verses? And here's how for me that I believe, I believe this is the context of of what God is saying in that passage. Because when you interpret scripture, let me give you some some insight. When you interpret scripture, the first thing you need to know is that there's there's a way to to do it, which is called a literal literal interpretation. And then there's a figurative interpretation. And how you interpret is based on some things. Maybe like, what are you reading? Are you reading something that's written poetic? Are you reading something? Because there's sections that are poetic in scripture. There's sections that are prophetic. There are sections that are um, apocalyptic. So how do you interpret it? Sometimes you always start with the premise, I'm going to be literal. But there are times when you realize that you can't be literal because if you're literal, it doesn't make sense to the context of the culture. So for example, when the Bible says in the New Testament, slaves be submissive to your masters, 
That would mean if we're going to be literal every time, which by the way is the same writings, it's Paul. That would mean that we need to tell all the sex trafficked girls that you have to stay in your condition. The point is, is that when it comes to the scripture, it's not a flat, it's, it's, it's topography. And so you have to look at the culture. So here's what I believe was happening. That the third principle is that the context was addressing an issue rather than a timeless principle. So what that means is, and here's what some theologians believe, and it's simply this, is that in the time that Paul was addressing this, what happened was is women were starting to emerge in their knowledge of God, they're learning the word. The problem is, is they had not received education, they hadn't been taught the law, and we know that in the New Testament church, what was happening was that there were false teachers who were teaching heresy. So what they were doing is they were targeting women They're getting them aside into these Bible studies, teaching them heresy, and then what would happen, and remember it was about disorder, right? And and, and causing problems in the church service. So what was happening is that as as someone was teaching the word, women now with their newfound ability to to talk and to learn, they were interrupting the messages with their husbands going, wait a minute, that's not true. In my Bible study, they taught this, and he's saying this, and now suddenly there was all of these Um, issues of disorder and interruptions that were taking place and that's why if you read it Paul says hey do that at home it's not it's not good for a woman to speak in church so he was being um, speaking to an issue in the church same thing with Paul or in Timothy he was saying listen you're going to run across and women because they're they're having had no education they're going to be learning these false doctrines and so you need to make sure that they don't have that authority it needs to and so what he's doing is he's addressing specific situations and here's why I think that that's what's taking place because if you read Paul's writings he says the exact opposite of what he says here in multiple places for instance in the same passage in Corinthians just a little bit earlier here's what he says he says now if a woman is in church and listen and she is prophesying and praying she needs to do it with her head covered. Again, a contextual thing for the culture at the time. So he's basically saying women should be praying and prophesying, speaking, leading. In fact, what does the scripture say? When you come to the house of God, it says everyone, not just the men, should have a word, a psalm, a hymn, a tongue. Paul is encouraging women to prophesy, to pray, to speak in the church. And then two verses later, he's saying, no, you can't talk. To me, it goes against the overall message of what God is trying to say. And what he's trying to say is that everybody that has a gift, I want you to use it for the kingdom. As long as you do it, so as long as you do it in order. So he's addressing a specific issue rather than a timeless principle. Y'all with me, say amen. So this is, the, this is the idea of what, when I look at scripture and when I look at those passages, I realize that if you just look at it literally and you don't see the context, you miss what God is trying to say throughout the whole word of God. Because the Bible says that there is no longer male or woman. We are all one in Christ. Come on, y'all with me, say amen. Thirdly, or fourthly, and this one's really big, and I wanna end the sermon with these thoughts. I believe that a reason that God wants women to have equality and be used in ministry in the local church is because prophetic ministry is for men and women. Now, there's a difference between prophetic ministry and prophet. Um, prophet is an office. It's one of the fivefold gift. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I believe that the Bible clearly shows us. In fact, I read an article that was, was a, a man who was basically looking at two arguments of women that could be pastors, women that can't. 
And in the end, this man was very educated. He, he kind of had his philosophies and reasons why he could poke holes in the justification of everything. But one thing at the end he says, I cannot deny, is that throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, God has said women can be prophets and they can prophesy to the people of God. And so what we find is that prophetic ministry is for men and women. If that's the case, then if God wanted to give one gift, why would he want to give all of them? And so let's go now to the early church. It's just starting. He's launched on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come. He's launched the church. And look what is hidden in the message that God is saying for the new, new decades, centuries of the church that are going to exist. Here's what he says. What you just saw happen with the Holy Spirit coming, it's a prophecy. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people and your sons and who? Will what? Because in those days, I will pour my spirit even on my servants, men and what? Women alike, and they will prophesy. So basically what God is saying, he's saying, listen, the gifts of the spirit, the anointing and the callings of God are for everybody. And from this day forward, it's men, it's women, and I want you to move forward prophetically in what God has called you to be. Because here's, here's the thing. Hey, come on, give the Lord a, uh, an amen or a clap or a... So what we're learning is we got to stand for equality, but here's how we do it. Because the, the second part of it is that we have to stand for honor. Now, this is where I think things get messed up with the, the women's movement and feminism and, and some of these things. Let me begin, first of all, by telling you what honor is. According to the Bible, honor is to value, respect, and highly esteem. Dishonor is when you treat something common and ordinary. Now, if you'll just give me a couple minutes, I'll break this down and, and make it clear for you, but I wanna show you what Jesus had to say about honor. And I want you to hear what he had to say about prophecy, which is really about women, because women are gifted in prophecy and called to prophetic, um, I believe, the office of prophet, the gift of prophecy, to speak that over the church. And if they're doing that, all the gifts are available, right? But look what he says about honor. He goes to his hometown, and when he gets there, they don't honor him. They devalue his gift. They make it ordinary. You're just, just a carpenter's son. God can't really use you. They, they don't value him. They don't honor him. And look what it says. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And then Jesus told them, watch this. A prophet is honored everywhere except his own hometown. And among his relatives and his own family. Now watch. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Now let me, let me just say before we move on. Theologically, I don't know. I want to ask God about this when I get to heaven. But is it true that Jesus, the son of God who could do anything, was limited because of a lack of honor. That's what it says. It doesn't say that he didn't do. It says he couldn't do. Now let's go back to one more verse. And then I'm going I'm to break this down. So Jesus is talking about the prophetic gift again. And he gives us another little insight. He says, if you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God. 
In other words, you honor the gift in them. You believe that God has anointed them. You believe that God can use them. Here's what he says. You will be given the same reward as the prophet. Because here's the big principle. Guys, if you bring that quote up. When you give no honor, you receive no reward. The point I want to make is simply this, is that we live in a culture right now where we have people trying to bring equality, but unfortunately, here's what they do. In order to get it, we're going to diminish men, we're going to point at their failures, we're going to pull them down, and here's the spirit of the world. In order to get my established place, I'm going to have to pull somebody down to get my way up to the place I'm supposed to be. But God says if you want to receive the gift, if you want to walk in the blessing, you don't pull somebody down, you lift them up. So in other words, the best place that equality can thrive is in a culture of honor. So rather than having a movement that that makes fun of, um, begins to bash, pull people down, challenge, question, you don't have any more rights or whatever it might be, which sometimes in extreme situations can happen, what do we do? Instead, we honor the gift. Because here's the point. Do you want to receive the gift that God has placed in me as your pastor, as a man? Then you got to honor me. But if I'm going to see the gift in you and receive the reward, then I need to honor. In fact, can I just show you? Here's where I think it all went wrong. God created man and woman. And I'm going to give you my, my little spin on it. He created man. He created woman, Adam and Eve. Now, I think that man made some mistakes in his leadership. Number one, because as I was reading through this, the Lord pointed out that When God created man, he hadn't created Eve yet, he said, um, do not eat from the tree. There's no record in the scripture that he told Adam and Eve, he just told Adam. And then Eve came, and of course she then took from the tree, she, she listened to the serpent, she took from the tree, and she influenced Adam and Adam ate. And I think, so man, in his leadership role, he, he didn't do what he should have done because he, was, he wasn't willing and able to pass on the spirit and heart of what God was wanting him to pass on. That's why the Bible says that we're to instruct our children in the ways that they should go, right? That we teach it to them when they're lying down. He didn't take the leadership role that he should have taken with his spouse. But here's the other side. Women now who are equal, because here's what the Bible said, that when he created them together, together you will now have authority over the earth. Women started to then step into their level of anointing and calling but they did it in an unholy and a manipulative way and because they manipulated their gift and they did it in an unrighteous way watch what happened sin entered the world and inequality came so it's when women didn't lead with honor and when men didn't lead with honor that we had inequality And so what God is saying is that if we can learn the spirit of honor with one another, and that's why as a church, I want to honor the women who have gifts and callings and give them opportunities to use their callings and giftings. Why? Because I don't just want them to fulfill their destiny. I'm a little selfish here. I want to get some of that reward. Come on, somebody say amen. And I want to say I thank God because here's the reality. It's because someone had the courage A woman was willing to stand up and and use her call and her gift. And there were men who had the courage to say, "I'll, I'll be under her leadership. And her name was Amy Simple McPherson. 
And many, many years ago, she stepped up and began to fulfill her calling and she ministered to people, fed tens of thousands of people, built an amazing church called um, Angelus Temple. And here's the thing, she began to do great things. Now there's a denomination all over the world. Jack Hayford, um, his ministry came out of the, the fruit of Amy Symbol McPherson. Here's the point. Because someone was willing to honor that gift, here's the good news for me. Today, I'm reaping that reward because my son who was lost now is found. And guess where he's at? He's at Dream Center where Amy Simple McPherson, he's now having his life transformed. I'm reaping the reward because a woman was able to walk in her calling. In fact, let me tell you, you're reaping that reward. I had someone come up to me after service and said, Pastor, I'm from, I forget where it was, Ecuador or Guatemala or someplace in Central America. And she said, Amy Simple McPherson came and through her ministry, I found Christ. And she said, I got baptized. And I said, and your daughter is now our children's pastor. And our children are reaping the reward because of honor and equality. What would the feminist movement look like if it was a culture of honor? What would our church community, now I want to say if you come from a background that doesn't believe in women in ministry, I want you to know I believe those people have good hearts, sincere faith, they want to honor the word. So I, I can't speak to where they are in their journey, but I want to tell you in this place, for the culture and for the church, we stand for equality. Because I believe there are rewards. I believe there are gifts. I believe there are things that God can do through women that he'll never be able to do through a man. I want you to close your eyes.